Good morning, everybody. So as you can see, I am not Terry. Uh, for those of you who have been here before, normally uh, Terry is the one up here. Uh, he is in, in Sydney with, with his family this weekend, so he asked me uh, to teach, and so somehow I have the privilege to, to be up here and, uh, and share from the Word of God with you. Uh, so my name uh, is Daniel. I'm married to Alicia, and we have one son, Ezekiel. So, yeah, we've been in Newcastle for, for about six months. Uh, before that, we lived in Hungary for, for two years, where we were at Bible College there. And so, yeah, we're, we're privileged to, to be here and, and be settling into this church. Um, so, this morning, I'm, I'm really thankful to, to have the opportunity to, to share from, from the Word of God. And my prayer is that, that he would speak through me and that we would just fall in love with Christ more and and understand more of who God is and this morning Terry said you know just teach uh, whatever you want you know pick a passage and that's always the the tough thing we have been going through through first Peter but we're going to take a break from from that this morning and um, yeah we're going to go through Romans uh, 3 and we're going to go from verse 21 to to 5 2 so it's a fairly big section um, but I think we can get there and I want to look at what Paul is is communicating to to the people through through his epistle and also how that that applies to us obviously um, but before we begin uh, there's two things that that I want to do and the first one is I just want to give a little flyover of the book of Romans because it's a book an epistle sorry that that really ties together well and so once you start reading one section you're like oh well maybe I should teach this and this and this because it all just just comes together really well so I'll do a little little flyover and then uh, I want to define a, a few words that we're going to come across in our passage this morning. Uh, some of you may have a really good working understanding of those words, but, but some of you might not. Um, so first let me, let me pray and, and then we'll, we'll start, hey? Lord God, um, we just thank you so much for, for your goodness and, and your grace on us, Lord. Thank you that, that you love us and, and you care for us, Lord. Thank you that uh, your plan uh, for salvation is is perfect, and and none of our uh, none of our goodness, Lord, can bring us into relationship with you. So we thank you so much for for Jesus and and his perfect work. All right, so Paul is is writing this this epistle of Romans later on in his life, and and he's writing to to the Christians in Rome, and. This, this group consisted of both uh, Jewish and, and Gentile believers. And as they, the church started to grow and they, and they interacted with each other, a few things, issues started to come up and they divided over, over some things. And so Paul, he's addressing some of those, uh, some of those issues. And we know that that Paul is equipped uh, for these things because he's grown up uh, as a devout Jew, right? And in some ways, even after his, his conversion, he was still a, a devout Jew in some of his ways. And then, um, but if you go to, to Acts uh, 22, 17, 21, we see that 
Paul is commissioned as a missionary to the Gentile people. So he has this, um, this ability to, to minister to both groups, to both the Gentile and the Jew. He's got a good working knowledge of, of Jewish culture and the Gentile culture as well. And we really see, see his heart through, through the epistle that both Jew and Gentile would be united in Christ. Right? Um, and when we're reading, reading through Romans as well, we, we should read it like Paul. there's an argument or an issue presented and then Paul goes, all right, I'm going to bring uh, a counter to that and, and answer your questions. So... In chapters, this is our flyover, so in chapters 1 through 4, we, we really see God's righteousness revealed. So we see that all humanity is, is trapped in sin and, and needs rescue. We see that rescue won't come through uh, just obeying the law and, and following that. We see that God's righteousness is the thing through Jesus that has, has rescued us. We see that God's family is, is bigger than, than just the Jews, the, the covenant people. And then uh, chapters 5 through 8, if I'm going too quick, let me know. But if you're a note taker, start, start jotting it down. It'll, it'll help you. So chapters uh, 5 through 8, we see a, a new humanity sort of created. So we see the, the reality of, of being justified uh, by Christ changing the way we live. Right, and we see also a contrast between Adam, the first man, and Jesus. So Adam brought sin into the world; Jesus brought rescue. So all we also see that um, with Jesus, an old humanity dies, an old nature dies, and then with Christ, a new humanity is is raised with Him. Right, and we see the the purpose for the law and all the rules given. Paul outlines this to show the Jew that they've broken it, right? And so that's not the way uh, for salvation. But we also see that although the law is, is good and perfect, it's not, it's not the solution to, to salvation. So then we get to, to chapters 9 uh, through 11. And here, in some ways, it's a, it's a bit of a tricky section and people do have different opinions on it, but we get a glimpse at, at the fulfillment of God's promises and his covenants to the people of Israel. And so we see that just because one is born into Israel, it doesn't necessarily make them a child of the promise, right? Just because they're born in it. Israel, uh, we see that they still are looking to, to laws to to bring them into right standing before God. And we see that as, as Gentiles, you and I, unless you're born a Jew, I don't know, but um, us Gentiles, we have the gospel because of the way God worked through Israel, right? Um, and then we see that, that Israel, um, although as, as a majority are, are rebellious at the present, they will be brought back in because they are still under the covenant of God, right? And then we get to chapters 12 through 16, and we see this, this unity. Uh, yeah, 12 through 17, sorry. We see this unity um, brought, right? 
And that unity is brought through the ways in which the people of God show love for one another. And so Paul outlines that. So that's our really quick flyover of Romans. I hope it gives you a a bit of a picture um, so that you know where where we're at when we get to it this morning. All right, so a couple words I I just want to talk about before before we start. And that... uh, First one is is righteous or, or righteousness. So uh, I'm defining these within within the context that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so when referring to God as righteous or the righteousness of God, this is referring to the perfect nature of God as attaining to His just actions. So God is perfect in His nature, and He is perfect in His actions of justice. And then. When we're referring to man being given righteousness or being declared righteous, this means that in Christ, man becomes all that God requires him to be to be restored to right relationship with God. Right? So we need the righteousness of Christ, not our own. And then we get to words like justification or, or being justified. So in the context uh, we're looking at today, it basically means being acquitted from guilt. So the guilt and punishment that we are deserving of or the crime that we deserve the punishment for, that guilt is taken away, right? So that's what we're looking at as far as justification. Another word we'll we'll come across is is imputed. So that... um, basically means having put something to to your account right and we'll we'll explore this a a bit more later but think of it in that way like something being added to to your account and and we'll we'll get into it a bit later and the last word here is propitiation right in the basic sense uh it is saying uh that jesus has has paid for everything right he has propitiated, so he's paid for it all. So the means by which we are saved is Christ. So when it says here in our section that God set forth as the propitiation, it's the means by which, right? So we can read it like that too. So, all right, as we get to our section uh, this morning, we are talking about righteousness being gained through either law and works or by faith through Jesus. This is, this is our section. And so the Jew, as we know, is, is very strong on obedience to the law, right? And then, but for the Gentile, that left them wondering, you know, how could they obtain relationship with God and righteousness if it's only through being a circumcised Jew that followed the law to an absolute T? How then... For, for the Gentile, how then for us can, can we be saved if it's, if it's that way, if we have to do everything just right and we have to follow the law and we have to do it the way that the Jew was saying. So this is the, the problem in the church and you can see how it might have raised a, a bit of tension. All right, so let's look at here uh, 321 through, through 31 is our, our first section, but... Um, Paul has, has just got done in, in the first part here of, of chapter 3 describing that man is, is fully sinful, right? They're guilty before God. 
And that's, that's like I said in the recap, the, the first part of, of Romans is showing the guilt of man before God. Now, in, in our section, he's getting down to, to both the remedy for man's sin and the problem with people thinking that there is other ways besides uh, what is in Scripture, right? So he wants to show them the only way. So verse, verse 20, if you just jump back tiny, it says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So in verse 20, he states clearly that no man can be justified doing the good work of, of following the law because no one can, can actually follow it or obey it completely. And you see that the purpose of the law was to show that no man can live up to God's standard. And there has to be another option for man to have right standing before God. It can't be through the law. And Paul goes on to, to do what he, what he does well uh, in Romans. He set up an argument, and then he answers, answers it with Jesus being the only solution, basically. So the question would have been in their mind, right? I've just been shown that, that I'm a sinner, and Paul has just said that even if I follow the law, I won't have right standing before God. That either leaves the guilt of my sin with me, or there has to be another way. There has to be another way, otherwise it's just with me. So he says in, in 21 here, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He says that there is a way to access that righteousness of God and that is shown also by, by the law and the prophets. We can go back and, and read that. You know, for example, you might know this passage, but Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, you know, is a clear depiction of, of Jesus and his work. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. As the, the Jew had the law embedded in their mind. They knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah, but they missed the point of both those things. They missed the, the fact that the law was showing their, their sin and, and God's righteousness. And they missed the Messiah that the prophets were talking about. They expected a Messiah to come. Oh, absolutely. But they missed Jesus. They missed the actual Messiah who was coming for the most part. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So Paul, Paul makes this statement. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all. All and on all who believe. We have to make a, a distinction here between having having faith and just believing, right? You can believe in God all you want, right? But if it is not grounded in faith through Jesus, it doesn't mean anything. It's not saving faith, right? Wisby uh, describes faith like this. 
He says, faith here means utter reliance on the living Lord Jesus Christ as one's only saviour from sin and one's only hope for heaven. Right? That, that's saving faith. And then James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe, right? But does that make them saved? No. It doesn't make them saved followers of Jesus. And as well, we, we need to be careful here when we start discussing faith, not to fall into, we can fall into the same mindset of this salvation by works, right? Because you might think, well, good, if I just have enough faith, or if I have faith that is good enough, then I'll be declared righteous, right? It's not so. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by our faith alone, but by faith in Jesus that we can be merited righteousness. Hebrews tells us that faith is confidence or, it's, or it has substance, right? To have faith through Jesus is not a blind leap in the dark or even something that we can take credit for, you know? Faith through Jesus is an acceptance of, of the evidence that's laid before us by God, right? We have it here. We have it in nature. We have it in the things around us. Then in, in 22, uh, 22b, he, he says there that there's no difference, right? And I kind of, when I read this, I was like, oh, I can imagine the, the Jew sitting there and he looks over at the Gentile bloke over there and he's like, man, I've been telling him that he needs the law and circumcision and probably Jesus to be saved, right? And the Gentile looks at the Jew and he goes, I can be saved by, by faith alone. And so can he. We're the same under Christ. Like, that's big for them, right? But why, why is there no difference? I mean, the Jew was, was given the law and not the Gentile. The Jew was given certain promises in the Old Testament, not the Gentile. To them, right, this is, there's a huge difference. That's why we read in, in verse 23 here, it says, whom God put forward as a propitiation, there's our word, by his blood to be received by faith. Oops, sorry, wrong verse, 23. Uh, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? That's where we are. There's no difference because all men are guilty sinners under the righteous judgment of God. Every single person, doesn't matter what nationality or what background or whatever, we all fall guilty unto God. We all fall short. Right? That's, why, that's why we need verse 24 too. And it says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Right? That's... That's the good part. 23, bad news. We're all guilty, all of us equally. 24, that's the good stuff, right? And um, again, uh, there's this little comment from, from Wiersbe that I, that I love, and it says, when God relates that love to you and me, his perfect love, it becomes grace and mercy. God, in his mercy, does not give us what we do deserve. And God, in his grace, gives us what we do not deserve. So in the Greek, freely, as we would see in John 15, 25, as 
without a cause, right? So we are justified without a cause. There is no cause in us that would merit the salvation of God. It is all of grace. All of grace, right? There's, we can't merit it. We can't work hard enough. In verse 25, whom God put forth, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. So at, at first glance, uh, maybe this, this verse seems a little bit strange. Maybe it's because of the word propitiation or maybe it's because it says that God passed over sins previously committed, right? I thought that was a little bit strange when, when I first read it. Um, so let's look at, at propitiation a little bit more at the moment. It says, so in the Old Testament, uh, the closest thing uh, that they would relate propitiation to or payment for sin is, is the mercy seat that sat in the temple, right? And the priest would do the sacrifice and he would sprinkle the blood on it. And that would make a covering for the sins of the people. So, but in the Old Testament, um, we need to understand that the sacrifices were only just a covering for the sin, not a complete payment for it. Right? That would only come in Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And then, and then he says that uh, God passed over sins previously committed. And we need to understand that God planned salvation for us, right? He knew Jesus would come and pay the price for our sin. The sin committed before Christ, it still had to be paid for in full, not just covered over, but it still had to be paid for in full. So those saved before Christ, they looked forward to full atonement for their sin. And us on this side of the cross, we look back in remembrance and go, wow, Christ did that for me, right? So he hasn't passed over sins previously committed in the sense of just forgetting about them, but in that he knew all sin would be paid for in Christ, right? All the way up to the cross and then after the cross, right? He knew it would all be paid for. So he's not just forgotten about it. In verse 26, it was, so, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, it says that, that, that God is, is both just and he is the justifier. So, God is just in that he poured out his full measure of wrath on Jesus, right? So as I was saying, you know, those sins still had to be paid for in the Old Testament. So God poured out his, his wrath on, on Jesus because of man's sin, right? And he knew sin had to be paid for, and he worked a, a perfect plan to take care of that, that sin problem, right? And that makes him the justifier. So he's just in that he paid for sin right there's a crime it has to be taken care of it has to be punished so he's just in his working in that and he is the justifier because he is the one that worked out the payment for it right through jesus verse 27 then 
What becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? So if the righteousness, the right relationship with God is, is given to us apart from the law, apart from good works, apart from our own faith, but faith through, given through faith to Jesus, and we are neither the one who is, who is perfectly just or the one that can make justification for our sin, then the start of 27a is natural conclusion, right? We cannot boast. Not a chance. We cannot take any credit for our salvation. We cannot take credit for the fact that as Christians we stand blameless before God without spot or blemish. That's not us. That's not our doing. Paul is, is saying here, as he's, you can imagine the, the Jew listening to this, he's saying, stop giving yourself credit for your good works. They're not getting you anywhere, right? The law is good and perfect and you cannot live up to it. You need to understand the solution, right? And that's not the law. That is why you must have faith through Jesus. He is the one that has fulfilled the law perfectly and taken the punishment for sin, right? We'll, we'll hear this uh, word in chapter 4, but that word imputed that, that I mentioned earlier, right? Placing something on an account. My sin, your sin, was placed on Jesus' account, right? And in return, the righteousness of Jesus was placed on our account, right? That is what some people call the great exchange. Right? That's huge. Our sin in exchange for righteousness, for right relationship with God, the relationship that we broke, right? Verses 28 um, through 30. This is uh, basically a bit of a recap of, of what, Paul's, what Paul's just been saying, right? So again, he's saying that Jew and Gentile saved in the same way. God is the one true God for Jew and Gentile alike. And faith through Jesus Christ is the only way for anyone from any nation to be saved. So he does this little recap. And then you get to, to 31 here. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the, con on the contrary, we uphold the law. So the Jew probably still would have felt kind of uncomfortable, right? That, that Paul is telling them that you know, they can't fulfill the law and what they've always thought and, and believed is, is not right, you know? And so he says in, in 31 that faith in Christ actually establishes the law. It does that because, like we talked about before, sacrifice demanded, uh, sin de demands a sacrifice, right? You can read through, through Leviticus to get that big picture on it, and if you do a, a deep study of that, your, your understanding will, will grow, right? So there needed to, to be a sacrifice, and... The law is, is perfected and, and completed through Christ because he is the perfect sacrifice, the one that pays for sin completely, not just covers it. All right, so this, this later half of, of chapter 3 that, that we've just been looking at is the theology or, or the doctrine of salvation through faith. So then as we, as we move into chapter 4, 
Paul uses some illustrations to, to show what he's just been talking about, to show the theology and the doctrine of, of this salvation through faith in Jesus. And he uses uh, Abraham, and we get this tiny little few verses on, on David as well. So why does he use uh, Abraham uh, as an example, right? The Jew would look at Abraham as the most righteous man, and they used him for, for the prime example of salvation through works, right? He was the guy. He was perfectly righteous, and that's why God used him, right? As, and they would also say that that's, like I said, the reason why he was the father of Israel, because he was so righteous in all his ways. And so, yeah, we're going to look at these examples, and we've spent a bit of time here in, in chapter 3, so... Um, yeah, it's good to have to have that as we get these examples in, in chapter 4. So I love the way that, that Paul is, is straight to the point here in, in verses 1 through 5. He says uh, in the first four verses here of, of chapter 4 that he says to the Jew, Your father Abraham did not work for his righteousness, but he had righteousness credited to him because he believed in God, right? If you zoom in there on, on, chapter, uh, on verse 4 of, of chapter 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as gift, but as due. Right? So if you and I or, or anybody think that we can work for our salvation or we can do enough to, to gain our salvation, then we think that we can put God in our debt. Right? We think we can make God owe us something. I worked, now God, you owe me salvation. Right? That's not how it works. Okay? The one who created me and you, who sustains us, who holds us together, who works salvation for us, he doesn't owe us anything. Right? He merely calls us to be in relationship with him. But we have this perfectly just God who is who we should be in awe of as our creator, right? But at the same time, he is really gracious, right? He calls us and he gives us the opportunity to put our, our faith in him, right? We don't deserve the, the righteousness that, that we're given through Christ, right? but he extends it to us through faith in Jesus. So... I don't know. I find myself trying to, to work and do good things sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, God will be happy with me with, if I do that. You know, It's not how it works, eh? But we need to remember that we have been paid for in, in Christ. It's not about our working and striving, but it's about all about Jesus and what he's already done. In verses... Um, six to to eight we get this little little glimpse of of david and um it's a quote from psalm 31 and as far as we know we can't know for sure but um it seems to point to him in in reflection on his sin with with bathsheba right and you know the story right david hanging out on his roof looked over this pretty lady having a bath Found out she was married, got her pregnant anyway, then killed her husband. Pretty bad story, right? Not good. 
man after God's own heart, yeah? It's, uh, it's not generally the example we, we go to when, when we think of David in that way. But he, what, is, what does David say here in, in reflection on, on his sin? He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Right? David suffered consequences, no doubt, because of his sin. Right? But he was forgiven and he understood the weight of that. Blessed is the man. Right? That's you and me as well. We're all sinners. And we are blessed because God has chosen to give us his righteousness through faith in Jesus. It's amazing. And so David is this, this example here. You know, we can think about that story and, and see him as a sinner, but then we can also see the, the beauty in, in restoration from, from God. So David couldn't work for his righteousness, right? He messed up. Abraham, he can't do it. And so Paul is just building, building this argument in, in the example, right? In verses uh, 9 through, through 12, Paul takes this tradition of, of circumcision. And, um, you know, it's something the, the Jew really looked at as, as a necessary for, for right relationship and, and walk with God. And basically, Paul just says, you know, read the story. Think back on the history. Abraham wasn't circumcised when he believed the promise of God and God declared him righteous. He wasn't circumcised. You, you've missed the point. Circumcision was given as a sign of the promise that God gave him, right? It came after not in order to be saved, not in order to be declared righteous. And we can take a, a little bit more example that might be applicable to us today. And um, I think Terry might have actually talked about this the other week, but what about baptism, right? So some today, still today, would say that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. It's not the case. Baptism is a sign of what Christ has done in your life, right? It's a public example of what he has done. It's so important that our theology, what we believe about God and our doctrine are spot on with the Bible. You know, we need to be constantly checking and rechecking to make sure what I believe, what I've always been taught, the Jew had always been taught that circumcision was necessary, right? It's not the case. We need to be looking at the word of God as the basis for what we believe and how we relate to God. Verses uh, 13 through, through 25 here is our, is our next section. And, um, in, the, in the final uh, parts of um, chapter 4, you know, Paul is, is still having this kind of assault or, on the law. And um, when he gets to this part here, 16 through, uh, yeah, 13, sorry, through uh, 22, it's on, on the fact that, that the Jew 
believed that blessing only came through the law. But um, again, he, sh- he shows that that law reveals sin, and he uses this word um, transgression. If you look at verse uh, 15, it says, For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So obviously someone can still sin and and break the law, even if they don't know that law exactly. But that's why Paul uses this, this word transgression here, right? Transgression is used for knowing something and still disobeying it, right? So you're driving down the road, you see a sign, it says 50 kilometers. You look at the sign, you read the sign, you go, I really should do 50 kilometers an hour, but you do 70 instead, right? That's transgression. You know it 100%, but you do the wrong thing anyway. I don't know, I'm not going to put up my hand, it's guilty. But So Paul says, you all have transgressed the law, and that only brings about the wrath of God. So they're thinking, the law brings about blessing. Right? That's all the law does, it brings about blessing. Where the Jews, we are blessed because of the law. But he says, no, the law actually brings about the wrath of God, because you can't keep it. And that's as, as, as true for, for the Jew as it is for us. You know, we can't keep and do the right thing all the time. We break the law. That's why we're guilty. And this was a really uh, common argument for the Jew against, against the Gentiles, why they couldn't be saved. Because they would say, well, you didn't get the law, and so you can't then receive blessing and therefore you can't receive salvation from the Lord. But Paul wants to change that that logic and and that thinking. And he wants them to see and align their idea of of being declared righteous with what the Bible actually says and what has been done through Christ. So if we we look down here um, at verses uh, 20 through, through 21, here for a minute. It says, No distrust made him ever waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Abraham had, had faith in the promise of God. He believed God would come good on what he had promised, right? I don't know, do, do we think like that? Do we truly believe that God will come good on that which he has promised? Right, that's a, that's a daily thing that we, that we have to work through. But as far as salvation, I mean, I sure hope so. If you look at 24 and 25 here, it says, but for... Ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's, that's a promise, right? That if you believe and put your faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, you will be saved, right? Faith through Jesus and his work. That's a, that's a simple um, gospel you have, right? It's, it takes surrender. 
surrender to to God and trust in his promises. God, I know you will come good on that which you have promised. And God, you have promised that I will be declared righteous through Jesus. I was um I was sharing with a with a girl at work and um I said to her after many conversations I said is there anything, if there was one thing that could convince you to follow Jesus, what would it be? Just one thing, tell me, and we'll work on it. And she goes, you know what? Nothing. She goes, because I have to rely in myself and on my own ability. I have to trust in myself. That's so sad. That's so sad giving someone the opportunity, anything, to believe in Jesus. No, I have to trust in myself. Is that, I fall into that trap sometimes of wanting to trust myself, trusting my own ability. It doesn't work, hey? God has given us good, perfect promises. That's where we put our trust, not in ourselves. We're going to fall into destruction and despair if we try and rely on ourselves. We're trusting God and his good promises. His perfect work, his finished work. I want to wrap up here with, um, in chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith, into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So each one of us, every single one of us is, is offered peace with God. And we come from, from a point of, of broken relationship with God. Ever since Adam, each one of us has been born with broken relationship with God. Well, we're thankful that, that that's not where God's left it at, right? He planned salvation and restoration so that that broken relationship could be restored. So I don't know. I don't know where you guys are at this morning. Maybe you don't have peace with God, like it says here in chapter 5. Or if you do have peace with God, I can guarantee you 100% that you know somebody that does not have peace with God. All right. It's not about works, but if what, what we talked about this morning, what, what Christ has done for us is not a motivation to, to live a life that, that honors God and, and glorifies him and strives to, to walk in, in a way that honors him, I don't know what is. Like, to look at the perfect example of Jesus and the perfect work of Jesus should motivate us to strive to live in a way that honors him, right? And not only that, it should motivate us to tell other people. Say, that person does not have peace with God. Am I just going to stand here and, and enjoy my peace with God while, while they live in, under the, the judgment of God? Right? Our, our place is, is to share, share that peace with others. Right? Paul went through great lengths to, to make that clear to, to the people there in Rome. He wanted, and if you get to the end of Romans, he wanted there to be unity and love in the church, 
because of Christ and through Christ. That's how, how we're unified. I don't want people still in, in that verse, you know, where we're all, um, all sinners. He doesn't want people just unified in, in their sin. He wants people unified in Christ, right? That peace with God. That's what we're offered. That's what we have the, the opportunity at, you know. We can have the righteousness of God placed on our account. We can have our sin taken. Christ has paid for it. It's a blessing. Let me pray, eh? Lord God, um, we just stand in, in awe of, of who you are and, and what you've done. Lord, keep us from, from ever thinking that, that we can just work and work and work and then, and then somehow you'll be happy with us, Lord. We know that, that when you look at us, if we have put our faith in Jesus, that you look at us and see the righteousness and the perfection of Christ. You don't see us in, in our filthy sin, Lord. You see Jesus and his goodness. Lord, we thank you for, for Christ and, and that he would do that for us, that he would humble himself as the King of kings and he would come to this earth, Lord, and, and die a sinner's death on, on the cross for us. Lord, that's huge. Lord, help us to live in a way that, that is thankful for that. Lord, help us to, to reach those that, that don't have peace with God. Lord, we want to be rejoicing with you for all eternity with as many people as possible. Lord, we don't want to see people still under your judgment. Lord. We want to see them in right and perfect relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.